0: Ever wonder about the person inside, the rainbow dog suit walking around your local park? Do dice with more than six sides confuse you? How about discovering a 50-chapter epic about the cast of friends in the Fallout universe? You might be thinking, why is this a thing? Why indeed? Well, let's find out together. Follow me and don't be scared. This is Hobbies on the Hill. Hey! Welcome to Hobbies on the Hill, a rad segment on the even radder podcast, Life on College Hill. I'm your fandom connoisseur, Jordan Capron, here to take you on a journey through neat hobbies. So sit back, bang out another Victory Royale, and enjoy the show! Fandom. The word was once obscure, but now it has found itself among popular culture zeitgeist. I lived through the age where the word fandom was only used online. It was jarring to see that word come up outside of Tumblr. I spent a huge chunk of my middle school and high school career scrolling through Tumblr, occasionally posting fan art for my favorite media. Whether it be a webcomic or TV show, I was, bas- I was a madman. I was drawn all day. I probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> Passionate people are capable of wild things. Kylie Hinky, multi-fandom artist and a bona fide Tumblr celebrity, contributed to one of the most viral fan works of the 2010s. You can't fight the homestuck. A parody of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, penned by Tumblr user Walking and Dead. Homestuck was once a popular webcomic that first debuted on April 13th, 2009. So every year on April 13th, Kylie would get messages like, "Oh, it's that time of year again. You're the can't find the Homestuck lady, Kylie." And it doesn't end there. If you look up Shrek Retold on YouTube, You'd find the movie in its entirety, but each couple of seconds would have a different animator. It's a big ol' hodgepodge of people wanting to create, even if it's for the lols. It's like watching a line of ants work together to lift a crumb for their ant friends back home. Except it's Shrek. The product is honestly hilarious and fascinating and mind-boggling and inspiring, honestly. But I've been talking about my experiences and what I've seen on there. So how about we turn over to a local student who is more than happy to share her experiences online.
1: I'm Aubrey. I'm a uh, fine arts multimedia major. And really what I like doing on campus is just kind of drawing and hanging with my friends. (laughs) True that.
0: Oh my God. Already, like I relate to you totally. Let's see.
1: I I forgot my own questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you can remember, what was the first fandom you ever found yourself getting into?
1: Fandom itself would probably be My Little Pony. That's actually what got me into art in the first place. I've only been doing art for like eight years, eight or so, and it was the whole fandom around that that got me into drawing. There's a lot of influences in my art, actually. Like, I draw really big eyes, do very colorful, stuff like that.
0: That's really rad, because I remember I was in middle school around that time when it was like, what was it, Gen 4? The, the, The TV show was a big boom craze, and I tried to emulate the art style didn't look good.
1: (laughs) I could never replicate it, Mm. but I have influences from it. I have like influences from a lot of things.
0: I'm the same way. When I first started drawing, I tried drawing Sailor Moon. And so my art style has always been kind of anime-ish, even though I insist that it's not. Around this time when you got into it, did you ever like post online? Did you have in-person friend groups or online friend groups you talk about the show with?
1: It was mainly online. It's what got me to join, like, DeviantArt, which is where I post most of my stuff. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing now. I'm not really very fandom-oriented, but most of my friends were from that. I, I don't think I'd be where I am now without the people I met through there. So I had a few IRL friends, but they weren't as impactful as the online ones. I see a lot of myself in you right now.
0: You you're saying what I have lived.
1: <laughs> I'm apparently more relatable than I think I am. So.
0: so that was your first one. And, you know, as we... have grow up our tastes change would is there any like big one that you found yourself to be the most involved in as you got older like um, not like involved in like community but like you found yourself like making content for it or you kept up with it the most
1: as i got older i kind of i shift through a lot like i've been in dr who ninjago um i was an undertale that was a big one <laughs> yep me too. um Currently, the one I'm the most influenced by right now is Cookie Run, of all things. I've seen that. I don't interact with the fandom very much, but it's I do a lot of content making for it because it's like a comfort thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit in the corner with my nice little wizard dude and enjoy yeah.
0: it. See, I don't play it, but I watch my friend do the role and I know next to nothing about the gameplay, but I love the designs. And what people in that fandom, like their humanizations of these little cookie fellas, and I'm just like, this is beautiful.
1: Oh yeah, no, I draw mainly the humanization. I am very attached to, like, pure vanilla specifically, Mm -hmm. but maybe it's just because I see myself in the soft wizard dude, but... I totally get it. I kind of see my snuff, my snelf, (laughs) myself
0: in, like, Snufkin from Moomin. Oh yeah. Let's see, I think we've covered how did this influence your art. Well, actually, no, I, I guess, like, we can expand on that. How would you say it did influence your art?
1: I think it's because I'm very into like animation and stuff. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like specifically, like I do very big eyes and like line art, like My Little Pony. I put some features of like JoJo in there because I really like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, um yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I um like go off fantasy stuff, like Owl House. It's <gasps> yes. Oh my god, I've been th- thinking about it all day. Sorry. Oh no, I <laughs> there's a lot. I I love that show. I take inspiration from the things I enjoy a lot, and that's just kind of how I feel like I make me, me, because I can take inspiration and, like, grow from it and adapt. Like, you can also see a lot of Steven Universe in my stuff as well.
0: Oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) All throughout high school. (laughs) So there is a section of conventions, the Artist Alley, where people come in and table and sell their fan art or their original art. Would you ever—this might be a big leap— from just doing it as a hobby, but would you ever want to table at a convention in the future?
1: If I ever have the confidence, absolutely. I want to make physical things of my art. I want to make pens. I want to make stickers. If I can find the right niche, I would adore being able to do stuff like that. I just kind of gather things that I enjoy. So it's, there's a lot of fun stuff and like I genuinely enjoy it all. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to get more. I want to make it. I just have to find the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. It takes a village. I get... Well, wait, hang on, that doesn't apply here. It's it's a very big process, and I can see how overwhelming it can be. But that's a very cool passion to have in my onion. Um, would you ever want there to be, like, not a a group, like, an unofficial group of, like, people, like, an anime club of sorts, quote-unquote, Would you ever, like, want that here on RSU?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people that I know would like it. I'm not huge on just anime, but if it's just, like, things in general, like, cartoons and everything. Yeah, like a, I guess, fandom club. I have fandom club. That, absolutely. Because finding people who have similar interests in you is one of the best feelings. Especially someone like me, who has a hard time opening up to people when I'm not comfortable. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Having, like, that, like, association of, hey, you find this show comfortable, let's talk about it kind of thing.
0: Yeah, uh, pretty much my thoughts exactly. <laughs> All right, so if you could, because I remember being on DeviantArt when I was a kid and I posted a lot of embarrassing art and self-insert uh, with canon character art, like shipping. So I'm embarrassed about that. Would I guess the question I'm asking is, if you could go back and change anything, would you?
1: Um, Probably, though it's more of how up, The kind of person I was more than what it was in there, Mm -hmm. because I was very in my own head in my early days, so I wasn't necessarily very, like, receptive to other people. Yeah. But, like, I've grown and kind of adapted, and I feel like that would have made my experience with a lot of these things better, Mm -hmm. to have, like, the more of that empathy for people maybe also encourage myself to get off bases sooner because i used to draw on bases based off the shows and stuff oh okay yeah i know what you mean i really was able to grow as an artist after like not using those Mm -hmm. i don't regret most of it maybe don't get as deep into the steven universe fandom (laughs) Uh, that fandom scares me and i never want to go back
0: yeah no 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 (laughs) no no the character designs were fun for a while but no no no
1: no Fandom is brutal. I think almost every person I ever had actual issues with, I met through that fandom. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really funny. It's for a show that's about acceptance and all of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of, a lot of things. (sighs) Crazy. That, that was a busy part of my life, even though it wasn't, it was just after school. Uh, (laughs) And I didn't do anything. I just watched it all go down. I was like, oh, okay. I do have a lingering question I forgot to ask. And I, I hope it doesn't disrupt the flow, but um, is there any, like, mm, independent artists that inspire you?
1: I do follow some artists. From, like, my early My Little Pony days, there was, like, uh, I don't know how to say your name, like, Kiana Mai, May, something like that. She was, like, a big MLP artist when I was younger. Lapa Diddy, I enjoy. Earth Song, something. There's a number.
2: (laughs) That's okay. I could list all
1: my friends because they all inspire me, but. Oh, even now, like, seeing the My Little Pony people mm-hmm. who make content is just incredible. People are so creative. I love following everything. I could get stuck for hours looking over DeviantArt and reading people's stories for the, like, made-up next-gen. Oh, my God. Oh, my—yeah, for, like, Pokemon? Like—
0: Oh, like, wait, ponies, right? Yeah. Sorry, I confused. Oh, Pokemon,
1: too. I've seen those, too. Oh, God,
0: <laughs> I know. I'm, I just go nuts. But anyway, um, I think we are wrapping up. Is there—well, I guess, is there anything you would say to someone who's, I guess, maybe new to campus and trying to, like— find their niche
1: don't don't be afraid to be yourself the thing is is that like you'll find the right people who will like you for you so trying to hide who you are is not like you know Mm -hmm. you don't need to do that there's always going to be someone here for you i mean i found people and i'm weird as heck (laughs) so there you have it folks
0: Dice clattering, players crying, spoons rattling. Yep, we've entered geek territory. I jest, of course. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is one of the most popular hobbies out there now. I won't lie, D&D is pretty complicated. There's a bunch of different variations and additions that all have their own sets of rules. I still have a hard time understanding everything. Like the chance my character could die? I can't imagine losing my precious tiefling barbarian! Luckily, I have a patient DM who encourages creativity at every turn in our campaign. But enough about me for now. We're here to listen to Luke Hewen, the Forever DM. When did you discover D&D?
2: I got into D&D, I want to say about three years ago. Uh, I was taking a little break from video games, trying to step back away from those, and then ended up falling down a rabbit hole of it. Uh, So I didn't actually have anybody introduce me to it. I kind of introduced myself. Now, I didn't have anybody around me who wanted to play, so I got myself that little DD starter kit and I taught myself the game. And as a result, I became what is known as the Forever DM. Uh, nobody else wants to DM, so I taught myself how to do it, and it's been a long road from there, but it's been fun.
0: Would you say that you found other people now to play with?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've had a group that I've been playing with for well over two years now, probably getting close to three. We're still on our first campaign, but it has been absolutely fantastic like watching them go around in the world that i've built grow and everything it has been absolutely phenomenal
0: the group that you dm now are these people that you've met on campus or through class
2: uh yeah it was actually all kids from the student theater organization when i first got to this school i was just starting to get into D, &D and i just got this campus so i didn't really have much in the way of friends yet so I just asked a bunch of people in the theater group, uh, despite the fact that I hardly knew any of them, hey, do you guys want to start a D&D group? Uh, I'll DM. They, A bunch of them said yes, and that's how basically my entire friend group started, and I'm still in that friend group today.
0: Well, would you say that people interacting with something that you've made appealing to you? Uh,
2: very much so. Uh, so the world that I have them going around in is one that I built entirely myself. I built an entire continent for them to run around in. I built all the NPCs, did it all custom myself. Uh and so being able to put all that work into a world and then watching them be able to go around and explore it. It's 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 own experience. <laughs> it it's very uh trying to find the word word for it. Beneficial?
0: Invigorating?
2: Invigorating. Satisfying? Something along those lines. Fulfilling. Fulfilling, gratifying. Gratifying. There we go. Those are the words I'm looking for.
0: Would you ever want to, like, start a and d group on campus?
2: Uh, I mean, I'd be more than happy to, uh, especially if i got to be a player for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have actually looked into that in the past. I know, I think the eSports Club had started a and d group recently. Hmm. I heard something about that, but I didn't look into it too much as of yet. But as for starting one on campus, that would be really fun. It really is an incredible game for bringing people together, you know, meeting people and everything because like when i first started playing with our group i didn't really know the group that well like i had just met these people but it D has an awesome way of like being an amazing icebreaker you know like giving everybody a reason to be together and a reason to interact with each other and it's like way more effective than you'd expect <laughs> like it, it's hard to be embarrassed around people when the other person just acted like a goblin for 30 minutes like <laughs>
0: That's good.
2: It It is incredible for breaking down walls and uh, bringing people together.
0: So I might get a bit personal with this next set of questions. Um, mm. Would you... Is there a moment in the campaign that maybe i have been not so... Like, not your proudest moment to witness?
2: So m- we have a really, really good group. Uh, in terms of bad players, I actually haven't had to deal with that as of yet. We've... I've always had a really good group through and through, even if people we've had to rotate through and everything. You know, we have our unruly moments, but they're not bad. Altogether, uh, we've had an amazing group through and through. I'd say my worst moments in D&D are moments that, on a day where I didn't have, as a DM, didn't have anything prepared and I was unmotivated, in which not having anything prepared as a DM isn't always the worst thing. Heck, there was at one point that, we went through an entire little side arc where I had them ship crash on an island full of dinosaurs, and as they went through this island, a bunch of the dinosaurs like started showing random mutations and everything. They came across these weird like swarms of paralyzing spiders. Oh, uh, that's cool. That would and the spiders would paralyze their victim, crawl inside, and then use their bodies like a puppet, like oh. a like a paralyzing spider meat puppet suit. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it was terrifying. Uh, But I was really proud of it because I came up with the entire island on the fly. Like, it was a really good improv exercise because everything on that island I just made up on the spot. Like, when I was making those paralyzing spiders, at first I was just making the spiders and showing them, like, crawling into the guy just to freak the players out of it. I was like, you know what? Why don't I make a spider zombie? Why not? Let's see how this goes. Let's keep
0: going. (laughs) Uh, How far can we take this?
2: I just started building it from there, and they ended up finding a cave full uh, from, like, a mad transmutation wizard who was, like, causing transmutations for the dinosaurs. Inside, they found this uh, weird pool that would transform them in some kind of weird way. If they failed their wisdom check, then they got a random mutation. If they succeeded, then they got to choose their mutation. God. (laughs) Most of them succeeded, surprisingly, to be honest. One of them chose to give themselves wings and things like that. Another one failed, uh, which was really weird when he failed because he was a vampire, so he's sensitive to sunlight uh, and sunlight burns him and everything. But the mu- random mutation that he got was sunlight sensitivity, so he was just sensitive to sunlight. All <laughs> it right. Canceled it itself out.
0: Awesome. Did your players tell that it was all made up on the fly? Did you let them know that, like...
2: They did know that the Dinosaur Island was made up on the fly, uh, but there are times, and I did find a way to actually, like, in the end, like, sync it back to the main campaign. Right. uh, Despite the fact that it was all made up on the fly, so uh, if I hadn't told them, then they probably wouldn't have known.
0: Mm. That's a proud moment, I bet.
2: Oh, absolutely. Like, it was actually, like... As an improv exercise, it was really fun. And honestly, for any DMs listening, I really encourage actually at times, work on your improv skills because when it comes down to it, you can't prepare for everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like no matter how hard you try, uh, your players are going to come up with some weird roundabout way of things that you would never anticipate. And so you always have to be ready to improv as you go. And so the more you work on that ability, the better DM that you're going to be.
0: I agree completely. It's I feel like D and D is just one of those things in life. It's like it's about giving up some control, oh absolutely, and being okay with that, mm-hmm. which is like weird how life works that way.
2: Yeah, it's it's about not controlling the chaos but working with it.
0: <laughs> Since you're mostly a DM, I was gonna ask like maybe if you had a character that you would ever want to play set up.
2: Uh, I do actually have some characters I have been able to play because uh, my players have done one-shots at times, mm-hmm. uh, and then I was able to play a character. I've made two characters. One of them was Richard Bearkiller. Uh, he was a barbarian who I still love to this day.
0: Oh, I love barbarians.
2: Uh, oh, they're the best. When, they, when the players first met him, they were at a very, very simple puzzle door that he just refused to solve, and you could just <laughs> see axe marks all through across the door of him trying to get through. He, he was really fun to play, and then I did have another one. I may or may not have forced my players to watch him die. Oh. Because I, even in the one-shots, I kept them in the world that I created, and so my characters ended up becoming NPCs, so they're still there in the world for me to utilize anytime that I want. Yeah. But I did just hit them recently with my big plot hook. Mm. That for the past two years, the hag coven that they're supposed to be taking down, they just now learned that they have been working for them the entire time.
0: Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, there
2: was an NPC that they love named Thinarv, a cleric, who is basically giving them their missions to go and do. So they were told that the hags had been made immortal, mm-hmm. and they had to perform a ritual to stop the hags from being immortal. So for about two years now, they've been gathering ingredients... To perform the ritual and stop the hags from being immortal. Oh. Little man. did they realize Thynarv was replaced by the night hag in disguise. Who and so it's been the night hag telling them to gather ingredients, and now that they've performed the ritual, the hags were never immortal. All the ingredients were to perform the ritual to make the hags immortal. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> so they made the hags immortal and everything that they've been doing two years is for naught.
0: That's that hurts so and bad. And the
2: final ingredient was angelic blood, which one of my characters was an Asamar. Mm. And so uh, they got the final ingredient was every drop of blood in uh, my character that they loved.
0: Oh, my God. And they
2: got to stand there watching people let dry.
0: <laughs> that's, that's so...
2: Yeah. It, uh, it, I've been building up to that over for two years, and I was so happy when it went down. And I'll be honest... Despite the fact that I was working up for that mode for two years, I improved like half that session. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> That's oh god, the pain is also almost delicious. It's so great. Oh, it's
2: fantastic. <laughs> like as a DM, you just you just run on it. God. Fuels you.
0: I after everything's over, like all right, who gives you the right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. So well, dice recommendations. With- uh, metal. Metal.
2: Metal dice. There's no greater feeling of power, because uh, like plastic <laughs> dice. Uh, a lot of the times you can get plastic dice that look cooler and you'll get like clear ones that have cool stuff in them and everything. Mm-hmm. Like But resin. when you compare just the small rattle of a plastic die to the large thunk of a metal die, especially as a DM, half the time when if I need to get my players' attention, I'll just start rolling things. They won't know for what, but it'll terrify the heck out of them. <laughs> they'll just hear a solid metal thunk on the table of my dice and they'll know that something's about to go
0: down. <laughs> Something similar happens with ours, except it's an automated uh, bot through our Discord server, mm-hmm. and we're like, hey, Claire, what are you doing in there? He's like, don't worry about it. Oh, okay. It's a surprise tool that happens later. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> and, well, I guess I was going to ask, like, any advice to players or DMs.
2: The best I can say is if you're trying to, if you're worried about joining the game as a player, worried that you don't know enough about the game, it, honestly, it doesn't matter. Because as long as you have a dungeon master who knows the rules, that is all that you need. Like, you don't need to know the rules as a player. As, as long as your DM knows, you'll be fine. And heck, even if your DM doesn't know, you'll be fine. There's, there's, nothing, there's nobody, like, watching you, you know, making sure you follow all the rules properly. And, like, part of the fun of D&D is bending the rules to what you need them to be. Uh, as for any dungeon masters, uh, or somebody who wants to be a dungeon master but doesn't know the game... Just start reading the books. Honestly, a lot of them you can access for free online. If you have the money, then I prefer always having the paper versions of the books and just read the books. Either, like, listen to a D&D podcasts or watch d shows like Critical Role. Those can give you an amazing example of what to go off of. And just go from there. Like, it, it is it is possible to teach yourself d uh, I did it. Um, and by this point, I'm a walking D&D encyclopedia. I know <laughs> way more than I probably should. Yeah, it is possible, and it's one of those things that, like, no amount of learning and, like, research is going to prepare you. Like, you just have to do it.
0: Half the players in our campaign, me included, aren't as experienced with D&D. Claire, our DM, worked hard for what we wanted making each session a joy, even if we were just getting, like, served on a platter. Let me tell you what happened in our last session. Picture this. We're in a battle with a boss. High level, an insane attack. There were four of us, and he kept fainting the only two players in the party who could heal us. So, being the group's tank, I took it upon myself to hit the boss with a pie. I got a pie- <laughs> I got a bag of throwing pies from Ligma Chaz Griffin, the best Gremlin 2s fan out there. God rest his soul. There were six potential effects for the pies. What you rolled on a six-sided die determined the effect. Hoping to roll for the sleepy effect, I took aim at the boss, rolled, and missed. As my character, Arga, I said, Hey, buddy, what's this all about? Trying to maybe get info on why he wanted us to fight, but no dice. (laughs) Later, I tried to hit him again with another pie. I thought, hey, this would be a good opportunity to intimidate him. At least, I hoped. I said, I am going to kill you. I took aim, I rolled, and I got a nat 1. To clarify, rolling a d20, a 20-sided die, determines the success of an action, with 20 being the best outcome and 1 being the worst. The following win is such. Arga failed to intimidate the boss. She went to throw another pie, but tripped and fell face-first into the pie itself, which happened to have the sleepy effect at this time. Argo was down for the rest of the battle. Player follies aside, let's get back to the wonderful world of being a dungeon master, with the next guest. Do you do anything as a student on campus?
3: Should I say it in a robot voice?
0: No, say it in your normal voice. I appreciate your candor.
3: My name is Cooper John Boyd.
0: We're here to talk about goblins and stuff, so...
3: (laughs) Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, Griffins and Gargoyles, etc.
0: And witches and wardrobes. So, when did you first discover D&D?
3: I had always heard about it, like, throughout middle school. Mm-hmm. And in, I had this group of friends who were older than me, starting with, like, a, a guy who was one year older. And then they were all seniors when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. So I started sitting at their lunch table because I was a big man on campus trying to be with the cool kids. And they were like, hey, we have a D&D game going on. And I was like, oh, can I join? <laughs> so uh, they talked to their guy who had already graduated at that point. He was, like, his second year of college. And they brought me in. So then I went to his house at 7 a.m. That was right on the time we were supposed to be there. And I was the only one there for like two hours. (laughs) His name was Alex Palma. And he had a brother named Scotty, who was two years older than him. So I was in a D&D group with a college student and a college math professor. (laughs) Oh. So uh, I joined and I loved it, like instantly. He was a fantastic dungeon master. Like he just took it off and he knows exactly what he's doing. And he'll make a fantasy world that is engaging from the get go.
0: Wow. Was it, like, a board game or, like, homebrew? Did he make it up, like, himself, or...?
3: Oh, no, he just... Well, yeah, it was, a like, the story. Because that's what right. Dungeons & Dragons is. Right, right. I forget. He,
0: There's, like, rules. <laughs>
3: yeah. In short, Dungeons & Dragons is just a system of rules. So anything that is beyond that, like, the actual gameplay thing, is created by a person known as the Dungeon Master who plays every character and it does every story detail that the f- other players... Who are the guys with the little character sheets you see mm-hmm. in the movies that make fun of this game? <laughs> yeah. interact with in this imaginary world. It's called like the theater of the mind. That's what it's referred to as. Huh. So you don't actually see anything unless you make little models. Yeah, you're yeah. just imagining it. And, those and that's are fun. So it's as fun as you pretty much can make it. Right on. But anyway, how I got f- first got into it. Scotty did the first one. Okay. He did a one-off, which is just you make a you make a character, you play one game. Right. So we had to wait for two hours because I had never made a character sheet before. So I I took the longest and I made this little ratty thief guy. And then I kind of took it off my own and I started making up my own plans and including everybody in them because I'm kind of a commandeering type person. (laughs) And then I realized afterwards, I was like, oh, that was kind of that was kind of a rude thing to do. So I went back in and apologized the next time. And that was when our longer campaign started.
0: Hmm. Well, is the campaign still going on?
3: Oh, no. It stopped, like, my junior year of high school. Oh, okay. So we did it for, like, a good two years, every, like, every two weeks. Man. Do, we would go from, like, 10 in the morning to, uh, 4 a.m. was the longest one.
0: Oh, my, 10 to 4 a.m.
3: Alex was crushing it, and everyone was into it, so... Normally a session is like four hours long. Yeah. Because that's when people have time for. Yeah. But when you're all loser high school students and like college students who have nothing better to do, no no other time on their hands, every two weeks you can get together and spend 14 hours playing a game. I mean,
0: I didn't call you a loser, but... (laughs) (laughs) Have you been a part of any games on campus?
3: Yes. I am running one. I haven't been running it well because I've been extremely busy We originally started with four different players, and only two are actually still playing from that group. And then we brought two others in, and then we started a whole new thing, and that was two weeks ago. So we've only played, like, two games.
0: I'm assuming you've met the people who you first started with, but, like, did you know the people who were incoming?
3: The people who we brought in extra? No, they were brought in by the other two players.
0: Oh, so you just have to, like, you're, like, meeting new people for, like, the first time.
3: There's a thing you can do where it's a session zero. So you actually just get together and get to know each other and make characters and explain the fantasy world you're indulging them in. So you don't actually have to play a game. It's pretty much a DM interview. You can make it like that. Of
0: course. I think my friend is doing a session zero right now for Call of Cthulhu.
3: Dude, I love Call of Cthulhu. A little short tangent, I went to a... uh, Uh, home goods like auction thing so I went there and there was a guy who was selling these tabletop things Mm -hmm. like it's just his collection of stuff and I walked up to that table and I saw this box set version that was made by Chaosium Incorporated where it's a 500 print Call of Cthulhu spawn of Azathoth box set with everything included and I was like that has to be worth several hundred dollars and I talked to the guy and I was like how much would that get and he was like uh I'll sell it to you for 45 and I was like I have 35 (laughs) dollars
0: did did you get it?
3: Yeah, I got it. I still have it. Awesome. I want to play it at least once before I, you know, lock it away in a safe so it's in my closet. Yeah,
0: I'd like to at least play it, but I sometimes I just make characters before I'm a part of any games. Do you happen to do that?
3: Yeah, I'm a DM. I'm suffered to do that. Well, I mean, now that you're a DM, I've been doing it for ever since we stopped doing it when I when Alex when I was a junior in high school and Alex like faded off because his brother Scotty went to go. He's, he started doing nuclear physics in Australia. So Alex That's lost cool. his enthusiasm for uh, playing games because his brother wasn't anymo- anymore. anymore. Oh. So then I took over the DM privilege from that point and I made games with my own people because the other ones had gotten too old. I only had one person from the original group who was still a part of a group mm-hmm. and he was my roommate when I first came here.
0: Oh. Um, no, that
3: doesn't relate to D and D. Who cares? Who
0: cares? Friendship <laughs> sucks. Yeah. If you had a chance to stop being the DM, would you jump at that opportunity?
3: Yes, absolutely. Yes.
0: Okay. <laughs> well,
3: I need to find a DM. I'm t- I'm kind of tired of it. I want to play characters I've made.
0: Yes, I totally understand. Because I have
3: ideas for goofy characters, but I can't put them in the game because my players keep murdering them <sighs> or seducing them. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the respect is gone. <laughs>
0: yep I've been there well i'm I haven't been a dm, but i've I've seen it happen because maybe I have done the seduce the
3: the struggle of being a dungeon master is like you're trying to get people to cross a river and you're just crying after thirty minutes because you're like this the catfish does not want to be seduced. Please just cross the just cross the bridge that's the bridge is only there as a dramatic measure.
0: Roll to seduce the water, yeah, yeah, all right, so let's see. You've already done really well telling me about your personal stuff, so. I didn't know it was a test. Well, you're doing good, so if it is a test, good job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask, are there any best campaign moments or worst campaign moments you've ever done? Yes,
3: I created a gang war between goblins and kobolds, and my sister, who was part of my playing group at one time, spent four hours making queso blanco in the forest with her character. Okay. And the other players absolutely loved it, so I sent in a bog witch to steal the queso blanco and they fought her for four hours.
0: <laughs> Any unruly players beside that queso blanco incident?
3: I was probably one during Alex's campaigns. Really? Me and my cousin Connor, who were part of his group, we were the, like, chaos originators of anything. Like, Scotty was trying to be nice to this group of bandits sitting in the tavern and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And he like summoned a pie from midair using magic. Right. And I, I was playing as a little bard, so I kicked it off the table and did a little jig. Everyone hated me because I did that. Was a fight that was completely unnecessary. <laughs>
0: you, you started something that but didn't at need least, to be started.
3: At least we got the bar.
0: <laughs> hey, that's all that matters. You, you have achieved the objective.
3: Yeah, we found the deed.
0: Let's talk about player classes. Yeah.
3: I love monks. I love the imaginary idea of kicking the crap out of somebody with a weapon, with your bare hands. So if I am able to play, I love playing as just a nice little mentally stable monk because I, I want to play the straight man. That's the that's the, that's the the role I kind of want to fulfill in my player fantasy. So that's what I do as a silent monk protagonist.
0: I like that. I like that approach. No, not everyone wants to play the straight man because everyone wants to be wacky, but mm-hmm. it's good for people who kind of desire that role. Well, I hope you get to play this monk with powerful... <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, do you have any favorite dice or dice recommendations? Well,
3: I'm a DM so I, I I went and got metal dice because I earned them.
0: <laughs> you know what? That's what Luke said. He's like metal dice.
3: I Oh wait, my friend Babbage, he gave me a, for my birthday, when I just started DMing, he gave me a D100, mm-hmm. which is oh. a dice with 100 sides. <laughs> right.
0: Those are wild. Which
3: is pretty much just a golf ball. Yeah.
0: Because
3: <laughs> a normal D100 is just, you roll a D you roll 2D10s pretty much. There's one with two zeros, and there's one with just the digit. And that's what, how you find what a D100. But I can do it the special way with my little special golf ball. Well, look at you with your special ball. Well, it's very threatening when I roll it behind the DM screen. <laughs> Here it go plunk.
0: Like, this, a decision is being made right now.
3: Yeah. To anybody who wants to be a DM and you want to... You don't even have to do anything, but if you want your players to just, like, quiet up and be serious for a moment, just start rolling random dice behind your screen.
0: I swear, you're an actual wizard. That was... <laughs> That was my next question. Advice to new players or DMs that are new to the hobby or and your personal feelings on, you know, getting into the hobby.
3: If you want to get in, only one person has to spend a lot of money and it's going to be the DM. (laughs) For ease of use, having the physical books is the best option. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, you don't actually have to. You can just look up the PDFs online of the player's guide, the dungeon master's manual and the monster's manual. And those are the three you just need. You can manage without anything else, because everything else is just an expansion. That's true. However, within the next couple of years, Wizards of the Coast will probably release Dungeons and Dragons version six, because this one's been out for like eight years. So maybe hold off on that.
0: Are you gonna buy it?
3: Well, I mean, if I can find somebody, maybe
0: if someone will have you. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to be a DM anymore. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm I like. Uh, I'm like a modern day Cincinnatus. You know, like the Roman general Cincinnatus. The emperor died, and they were being invaded by barbarians. So they just took him from his farm and appointed him dictator. And then he won, and then just went back to farming.
0: <laughs> I did not know that. Well, there you go. There's
3: but, your, there's your history lesson. Well,
0: that's a very interesting story, and I find I kind of relate to it. Like I just want to farm. <laughs> <laughs> Leave
3: me alone to my sugarcane. I just want a grill
0: for something. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh god, that probably got picked up. My old man. Yeah, who hands. needs bones? I, I do. Oh my god. <laughs> Luke recommended Critical Role, an excellent series for incoming players and new dungeon masters, with Matthew Mercer being the dungeon master for the cast. Mercer, along with the rest of the cast of Critical Role, are popular in the voice acting community. You might recognize Mercer as being the voice of Jotaro Kujo, from the English dub of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, as well as the voice of Leorio from Hunter x Hunter, or Hunter Hunter. I'm not sure how you actually say that out loud. Oftentimes, voice actors would be guests at conventions, where they would host panels and answer fan questions. And boy, if you thought we were in geek territory before, then strap in because we're heading to the final frontier. When I was a kid, the idea of dressing up as my favorite anime character was, well, frankly, baller. When I discovered that there were events where you could just turn up dressed as Goku, I was totally enamored. I am not immune to playing dress up. I started attending the local convention when I was 14, attending off and on with friends to this day. The con in question? Tokyo and Tulsa. But now it's officially called Tokyo OK. The con started as a block party for the Darkstone Anime Store back in October 2005. Darkstone had to close its doors in 2006, but from there, another opened. Tokyo OK became the first anime and pop culture convention in Oklahoma. My favorite part of attending Tokyo OK would have to be the Artist Alley where small businesses and independent artists table and sell merch. Usually there's art prints, acrylic charms, buttons, pencil pouches, just a bunch of neat stuff with stellar art on it. There's also a vendor room where companies run a spot and sell the hottest merch and essentials. Stuff like paki, ramene, Kigurumis, figurines, and of course, plushies. There's so many plushies, oh my god. As someone who draws as a hobby, I can't imagine the hard work that goes into making all that possible. There's also oodles of panels. Like, quite a few. There's in-character cosplay ask panels, meetups, cosplay 101, art tips, and even voice actor panels. My second favorite thing about attending conventions would have to be cosplaying. I'd say that my Sakura Ugami cosplay is my best one to date. And for the peeps who handmade their cosplay, there's a cosplay contest where contestants get to show off their hard work for an adoring audience. And when the sun goes down, there's some karaoke and a rave happening. I sang a System of a Down's Chop Suey at last year's Tokyo OK, and I'm still proud of it. I went from an awkward teen trying to joke with other costume strangers to a full-grown cosplayer who's buying Nagi Tokamaita-themed candles with her own money. I'm not exaggerating, I bought them from a business called Otaku Sense, and I love the Chibi-Usa theme candles so much, it smells so good. Even now, after the weekend is over and the convention ends, I get post-con blues. But when I get home, I know I can look forward to my favorite hobbies. That wasn't so scary, was it? I'll have to try harder next time. Make sure to take care of yourself and default dance your worries away by remembering that it's okay to like what you like, as long as nobody is hurting. Enjoy that interest. Not everyone has the time to indulge in their favorite hobbies, and that's okay. Whether it's drawing fan art, making character sheets, or creating costumes, any time spent towards them is and forever will be a time well spent. I'm glad we got to talk about all this cool stuff, so thanks for listening. I've been Jordan Capron, and this has been Hobbies on
1: the Hill.